Welcome to episode 73 of Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the vet podcast celebrating all creatures great and small and the fantabulous professionals who look after them all. I'm your show host, Julie South. Today we are looking at the STAR framework, S-T-A-R, for answering behaviour interview questions. Last week, we looked at nine behaviour-focused interview questions, and if you haven't checked out that episode yet, go do it, because it will help give you context and understanding of today's episode, which is how to answer any behaviour-focused question using the STAR, the S-T-A-R framework. And when I say any behaviour-based question, I mean any. If you've ever been to a Toastmasters meeting and had to participate in the Table Topics Skill Builder game, you'll understand how helpful it is to be able to turn any daunting question around into one that you can answer, regardless of what the question is. Toastmasters Table Topics if you're not familiar with those, is where you're picked at random and given a random topic to talk about from scratch for two minutes with no prep. It's designed to help you think on your feet, to talk coherently on something that you may know nothing about, and to build your public speaking confidence. Using the STAR framework does something similar. Not that you're encouraged to give an answer that's fabricated, but it gives you a framework on how to answer behaviour-based questions. You don't have to be at a job interview to use the STAR framework. Wherever you're asked to give an answer that relates to behaviour, this is how to answer it coolly, calmly, collectedly and confidently. STAR, S-T-A-R, stands for Situation, Task, action and result. When someone asks you one of those tell me about type questions, this is where the STAR methodology kicks in. Looking at each one of those and starting with S for situation. Here is where you start by describing the situation you were involved in. You can use an example from your current or a previous job, education, personal experience or any relevant event. Choose one that is the most appropriate and business-oriented example you have and one that best fits the role for which you're being interviewed. Choose an example that demonstrates the significance of your experience, the most difficult, complex, largest and most successful problem, situation or task that you've resolved or been part of resolving, launching, instigating, or whatever it is. I'm sure you get the picture. You want to give enough detail for the interviewer to understand what was involved in just a couple of sentences. There's a challenge to narrow it down to just a few words, a couple of sentences. T for task. With the task component, you want to briefly describe what you were tasked with, what your responsibilities and assignments for the situation were. What was your part in the big picture outcome? Once again, 
All you're looking for is a sentence or two. A for action. This is the grunty section of your answer and where the interviewer will be most interested in what you've got to say. This means that you should detail the actions you took to resolve the problem or the situation or the task. Describe all the actions, detailing each stage and in the correct logical order, showing your thought processes, how you reached your conclusions and the steps that you completed. So critical thinking here, critical reflective thinking. This is the most important part of your answer because it allows you to highlight in detail what your response was and to clearly show your skills in a real life scenario. Remember the interviewer wants to know about the actions that you took. So if you're discussing a group project or task, describe what you did rather than the achievements of the team. You may feel as if you're being very descriptive, overly descriptive here, but this is necessary to demonstrate that you've got the experience of the action that you're describing. Never ever assume that the interviewer will guess or infer what you did merely from describing the context. R for result. The result is the second most important part of your answer as a successful outcome proves that your actions were effective. You want to talk about what you accomplished, delivered in terms of benefit, learnt and if appropriate what you do differently next time. Give evidence to prove success. This can be in the form of figures or numbers, anything that will show what a winning outcome was that you delivered. Third party feedback, or in other other words, your leader or your manager may have said whatever it was about you. So include that as evidence. That's a great token of evidence. So remember to mention positive feedback that you've received from your manager, your team leader, or other people. And finally, talk about what you learned and how this learning will help you in the job that you're being recruited for. It's always a good idea to go into an interview knowing some numbers. For example, let's say that you were tasked with being your clinic's sustainability champion. Go into a job interview knowing what differences your sustainable initiatives have brought, in, have brought about will help add grunt and oomph to your answer. For example, if you've made a difference with your plastic recycling or your energy consumption, or maybe you're looking at your clinic's use of anaesthetic gases, and so far you've, whatever, bring those into the scene as well. Maybe you've managed to reduce the use of something or increase the recycling of something else. I'm sure you get the picture. So let's look at some vet clinic relatable examples for you to think about to get your thought processes and ideas going for how you can turn it around for you. When it comes to conflict or things not going to plan, 
Anything to do with how you handled, for example, an angry client will be relatable for your peers, to your peers. For example, bill shock. That's when a client gets angry about the size of the bill. If you've had an experience like that, then think about what you did and how you handled it. Or treatment recommendations. Perhaps when the client hasn't got the means and or maybe, sadly, the inclination to follow your recommended treatment plan for their animal. What did you do? What did plan B or plan C or plan D look like for you? And how did you reach each of those plans? Perhaps maybe a change in procedure or a system because it's no longer fit for purpose. When everyone is doing something because it's always been done that way, but it doesn't work or doesn't serve the clinic anymore. Has something been changed that you've had a part of? Think about that. And recently, lock, well, recently, last two years or perhaps, so perhaps, lockdown or pandemic-induced changes. Look at what's changed at your clinic because of the pandemic. Have any of these changes resulted in standard operating procedures now being the way it's done because of the pandemic? Remember that behavioural or situational questions focus on your past performance in a similar situation. Behaviour questions are used or asked because it's a reasonable and fair assumption that past performance indicates future behaviour or future outcomes. So you want to demonstrate that you know what you're talking about and that you've learnt from past mistakes if there are any. That's why interviewers usually ask questions about when things didn't go to plan. What they're looking for here is what you learned about yourself from the situation. If you blame everyone else or the situation or the circumstances, then they'll assume that your emotional intelligence, your EQ, is a bit lacking and or you have no sense of personal responsibility. Maybe that you're not even a good team player. If you'd like to know more about what emotional intelligence is and how it relates to professional advancement, then check out episode 40 of Paws, Claws, Wet Noses, which is six ways emotionally intelligent people lead. And you can find that at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. I'll put links to that episode in the show notes page for this episode. You can also check out episode 39, which is emotional intelligence, why it's critical to professional and personal success. So if you haven't listened to either of those and you're interested, you can find them at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. When you're at a job interview, you want to give enough detail without telling your whole life story. You just need to go back to the beginning, not to the beginning of your life. My suggestion is that you give some prep to your answers and do this in a way that works best for you. For me personally, it's writing things out. Whenever I have a huge presentation to give or a podcast to record, 
I start off by writing out what I want to say. I'm lucky in that I can type pretty much as fast as I can think or talk, so I can keep mostly up with my thoughts. I type using the language as if I'm talking. I also know from experience that approximately 100 words for me is about one minute of speaking out loud plus or minus. Spend time culling unnecessary words or phrases to keep things succinct. This this takes time, so you need to invest and put aside time to think about your answers. I think it was Winston Churchill who once said, I'm writing you a long letter because I don't have time to write you a short one. Believe it or not, it takes time to be brief. To to delete unnecessary words or phrases. Avoid repeating yourself, but remember to bring attention to the important bits. Practice. Whether you speak out loud from bullet points or write down everything you're going to say, make sure you do say it out loud. Because then you'll hear how you really sound, not so much from a tonal point of view, your voice, but you'll discover what words and sentence structures work for you and which ones don't. The important thing here is that you do actually speak out loud what you're going to say, because there's a huge difference to the spoken word and the written words or the thought in your head words. Let's look at some top-level attributes or skills to see what the interviewer is looking for so you know how to share from your experience that you have the skills they're looking for. Under the attribute of rising to a challenge, for example, you, they might ask, how do you handle a challenge? Or what was the last challenging situation you found yourself in? Or tell me about a time when things didn't quite go to plan. What the interview wants to know is how you react in challenging or difficult situations. Are you going to absolutely lose it if one of their special or precious clients challenges a treatment plan you recommend or a bill that you're presenting them with? Do you have an anger management issue that results in you giving shoe-sized responses or do you bury your head in the sand and have perfected avoidance techniques? Or are you a well-rounded professional with great self-awareness and emotional intelligence? Think about challenging situation that you've been in, how you resolved it, what steps did you take? and create a detailed step-by-step outline of what you did and why it worked. So you need to put some prep into this. Another really common question is, tell me about a mistake, or words to that effect. What the interviewer is looking for here is to hear how you handled the situation. They're not so much interested in that you screwed up, unless, of course, it was absolutely catastrophic and perhaps cost you your job. They want to know how you handled the situation rather than the fact it happens. We're human. We all make mistakes. What they're looking for is your ownership of personal responsibility. 
For example, maybe you misquoted a treatment plan and the client got a huge shock when the error was corrected in the bill or the client was never told about it, perhaps because the clinic bore the loss. The interviewer is looking for how you responded to the mistake once it was identified or discovered. Another question they might ask is for you to tell them about a decision you had to make that wasn't popular. What they're looking for here and they'll want to know is how you handled the implementation of it and any fallout that occurred as a result. Many interviewers will want to know that you're a team player, so there will probably be questions around, tell me about the time you needed to work on a team in an emergency situation. They're looking here for a few different insights. For example, how well you work on a team, what your leadership skills are, what your delegation skills are, are you a loner, do you blame others for your mistakes? Or do you accept all the glory for everything that goes right? And of course, there's the inevitable conflict situation question. Tell me about how you handled a disagreement at work. Here, they're looking for how you handle conflict at work. Did you compromise? How did you and the other party solve the problem? Was the problem solved or was it merely just buried? Or did you resign and, hey, here you are, this is why you're looking for this job, because you don't like conflict, you avoid it. At a job interview, it's easy to feel like you're being judged, and you absolutely are. But remember that you are judging the other person as well. Just as they want to know you're a good fit for them, so you want to make sure that they're a good fit for you. It's okay to pause before you answer any question. Take a breath and compose yourself. If you've given enough preparation to your interview, you'll have a fair idea of the types of questions you might be asked and what your responses will be. Stopping and taking an inward, silent breath is okay. From the outside, it will look like you're considering your answer. That you're not just giving some random, unprepared answer that has no thought applied to it. Remember also to maintain eye contact. This is important. And I know it's hard if you're on a Zoom call because sometimes the person's image on your screen isn't where the camera on your device is. And so to them, you'll be looking at something other than them on the screen. You'll be, your eyes will be to the side of the screen. Most of my Zoom calls are on my laptop or desktop rather than my phone. The cameras on each are in different places. On my desktop, which is where most of my Zoom calls are, I have a two-screen setup with my camera mounted on the top of one of the monitors as close to one side and therefore centered between both monitors as possible. So I'm trying to center my camera between my two screens. What I do then is take the screen off, the zoom screen off full size and drag the tile of the other person to center them under the camera. Sometimes when I do this, the the screen pops back to being full size. So you need to reduce it again until and bring them under 
drag them under the camera. That means that I can look at them as close to the camera as possible, as close to where my camera is as possible. The other thing I do is I push my seat away from my desk a bit so that looking at the person and looking at the camera are almost in the same eye line or the same eye level on the screen. Because of this podcast, I have a professional microphone set up on an extendable boom arm. It means that I'm able then to bring the mic, when I've moved my seat out, I can bring the mic close to where I am. If you have a a few Zoom meetings, it's a good idea to invest in a headset with an inbuilt mic on a boom, on the boom that comes around from your ear. This not only gives better audio quality of sound at the other end, but it means that you don't have to shout to reach your device's microphone if you've moved yourself away from your monitor, from your camera, like I've just said that I do. Also, if you're able, record your answers when you practice them. Listen out for how many likes, ums, and you knows that you include in your everyday speech without even realizing it. Those are the non-words and do nothing to showcase your professionalism or expertise. When every tenth word or so is like, it's distracting. Like, you know, like, and it's like, I'm sure you get the picture. The other thing to listen out for is starting each sentence with so. Listen out for it. Listen to journalists when they're interviewing someone. They'll ask a question and nine times out of ten, the person will start their answer with so. Most smartphones have a voice recording app. Get one and listen to yourself. I remember a few years ago, not long after Christopher Luxon had started in New Zealand, one of the RNZ National Junos was interviewing him. I lost count of the number of ums that he used back then. He's had training since because his public speaking has improved markedly. I believe that we each owe it to ourselves to improve our public speaking skills, not necessarily to the same extent that Christopher Luxon has, but I mean, that depends on your job and what position you are and how much public speaking situations or how often you find yourself in a public speaking situation. Some clinics have interview panels, which can be a bit intimidating if you're not used to speaking more than one-on-one. Another non-word to listen out for is absolutely. One of, and there's been a lot of that lately, if you're listening to the news, absolutely. One of my non-words is and. That's a word I'm always conscious of using when I'm thinking. I am from time to time, but I and often. And is my filler word. Every now and again, I'll supplement and with an absolutely. And sometimes I start my sentences with well instead of so. I'm more of a well person than a so person. All of these drive me absolutely crazy. There's that word again, absolutely. All of these drive me crazy when I listen back to myself. Don't rely on the fact that we're in a job seekers market right now to be offered a job by putting no effort into the job interview. 
do your homework, which means putting some effort into how you might answer some questions. Let's do a quick recap for you with the STAR framework on how to answer any behaviour-based question. Situation. Identify the situation in one or two sentences. Task. What was the task you were responsible for? Again, one or two sentences. Action. This is the meat of your answer. What did you do? How did you do it? What steps did you identify? What thought processes did you work through? And finally, the result. What happened? What did you learn? This is where you can throw in some numbers, some results, some KPI outcomes, maybe even some quotes, some third-party quotes. Next week, we're going to look at some of the questions that job seekers can ask the clinic interviewer, so remember to come on back. Most interviewers ask at the end, do you have any questions of us? And most job seekers usually say, no, you've answered everything, or I can't think of anything right now. Next week, you're going to discover some questions that you can ask. They're insightful. They're powerful questions. So make sure that you click that follow button wherever you're listening to this episode. That way, future episodes will automatically appear in your feed so you'll never miss out. Clicking follow is free and doesn't cost you a cent. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vetstaff. If you've never heard of Vetstaff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vetstaff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vetstaff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz I hope you found this helpful. This is Julie South signing off and inviting you to go out there and be the most amazing version of you that you can be. Stay safe, stay healthy, kakiti ono, God bless.